Good morning, everyone. Just, just a few things I want to share before the, the sermon. Um, I was told by Kenny that, that there had been a lot of donations toward the baskets that are being used to raise money at the um, fundraising event for the Tennessee Prison Outreach Ministry. And he wanted to just express a great thanksgiving to your generosity for that. And coinciding with that, as was announced earlier in the week, um, we got a message that of everyone being able to go into the jails that is in, in Davidson County. And so I think we're starting up in September at some point. Um, so if you can go, we're going to have, I think, Tuesday studies, Friday studies, if I'm, not, if I'm not mistaken, right, Kenny? Tuesdays and Fridays, and then on Sundays, we'll have worship services. All right, so if you can make it and you've been signed up for it, please see Kenny and we'll get you scheduled in. Uh, so far, as was announced earlier, no rain, which means we can still have a potluck. So hopefully we'll see uh, Phil there <laughs> and make it to it if he's not babysitting or anything with grandbaby. Um, but anyway, potluck is, is on. And if it's, if it's going to rain, we will call Facebook, email. I will call Charles Nash and everyone else contact whoever you know that would be coming. <laughs> and last but not least... Um, Last week, in haste, I kind of looked at this huge envelope, and I mentioned to you I got a letter from India to Pastor Mitch. Well, I was wrong in my haste. It's not from India. It's from Indiana. <laughs> my bad. This 21-page book was probably the best letter I think I've ever received in my life. It's from a man who's incarcerated in Indiana. And he um, somehow in the newspapers in Indiana got wind of the donation to Richard. He, um, he's been in and out of incarceration since the early 90s. And he shared his basically his life story and it, it caused me to cry. Long story short, in, in the midst of these incarcerations, he kind of started growing up and um, got married, had a beautiful baby daughter that was the love of his life with his wife, and she had just celebrated her fourth, fourth birthday, he his 40th. And as they were leaving the restaurant celebrating his birthday, a drunk driver killed his wife and his daughter. And of course, his mind is back into uh, depression and, and what have you. He has since been incarcerated again. He is serving out the remaining two years of his term. But he wanted to let me know he wants to donate his kidney when he gets out. Um, and more than that, as important as that is, he's saying, I'm a broken soul. I need someone to share with me Jesus. Y'all, we have no idea just how many people we are touching in our lives just by the way we live. And so I'm sharing that with you as, as, first of all, to ask your prayers on behalf of him. His name, what was it, honey? Joseph Seidener, I think is his name, Joseph Seidener. Um, please pray for him and that maybe the context that I have with him will help, particularly as, um, as his relationship with God can, can have the opportunity to, to be solid. So that said, all right. We have um, 
just read out of Matthew 7, one of the most popular passages in all the Bible, right? Matthew chapter 7. It is so popular. Let me see if I can get this change to be here. It is so popular that this is probably the go-to verse by non-Christians, right? It is the kind of uh, a passage when you hear it read that non-Christians will use against those who they call Christians, right? You can't tell me how to live my life, right? So judge not. So we hear that oftentimes, and when we read this passage, however, I'm wanting you to really stop and consider, well, who was this primarily addressed to contextually? Because I believe there is a time for us to always be judging, and in fact, every day we use this very word of judging course in different contexts than what Jesus is teaching immediately than what we see as typically being used and so I want us to to look at this text and see if we can get the sense of what's being said and and I want to start by by noticing how this word right crino is the the lemma um, the main word and it's used all kinds of, of different ways but primarily when you hear this word judgment it is the same word as discernment to decide to regard right making a choice you're using this concept of a word all right so you know I'm deciding I'm wanting to to have eggs and not a spinach shake Right? I mean, that's the, I want to make that decision this morning. That's what I want. I know every one of you are making the same choice this morning, right? We make those decisions. Crino, sometimes they're big decisions, right? Is this the person I'm going to say yes to in getting married? Is, um, are we going to buy this house or not? And then we make decisions upon our relationships with one another whether it be organizations of any sort including churches you know why do I come to this congregation why did I go to that one why did I leave that one and so on and so forth all these decisions that we make even spiritually speaking right and that includes the things that we decide as we strive to serve the Lord what to believe now, when I say that, I'm not talking about it from a standpoint, whatever is right in my own eyes. I'm talking about I'm making a decision based upon what I think the Lord is teaching me, what I believe his word is, and I'm conforming myself to his teachings, all right? And yet the application is going to be different from each person in their decisions, but that's part of it. And then our actual relationships with each other. Right? With people that we have within the body of Christ and people that we have who are outside the body of Christ. We have relationships, every one of us. And we make choices on who we're going to hang around with, how much we hang around with them. Are they going to be limited acquaintances or are they going to become best friends? We, d- we make those choices. And those are the things within this framework of the word to judge. All right. So when we get back to the text of Matthew chapter 7, however, he gives us a more nuanced way of using this particular word that has a lot of meaning to it in a given context. And I want you to read this one more time because this is the, the latter part of his sermon on the mount. And he is dealing with brethren, having relationships with brethren. Okay. 
And from that vantage point, we see it from the beginning in, in the sermon in Matthew chapter 5, how you ought to treat your brethren in that regard. And then here in Matthew chapter 7, I want to read it one more time. And I want you to see and focus in on this word judgment, all right, all throughout the text. We're going to read just verses 1 through 4 rather than 1 through 6 at this time. And we'll, we'll hit verses 5 and 6 at the very end. All right, judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but you do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will be, you'll be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And so while we see this passage being used in a variety of ways, right? The problem, the primary target is with people who follow Jesus. It has been said, and I have experienced firsthand seeing it, that some of the most harsh judgments are not Christians to people outside the body of Christ. It is by Christians to other Christians inside the body of Christ. Brethren, let that sink in. Some of the most critical judgments, the very kind that we are talking about in this passage, and we will see this passage fleshed out in other places in the New Testament that deal with this Sermon on the Mount point. Some of the most critical judgments have taken place amongst brethren and Jesus knew what would happen because this was not anything that would happen just because the church is being established this was going on for millennial and it will continue to happen in the body of Christ amongst Christians that do not learn this text and so we need to see the problem of judging that is brutal that actually destroy the faith among Christians. It's one thing for the world to entice the body of Christ to be led away. It's another to be driven away by your own brother or sister in Christ. And that's what we're dealing with this morning. And, and I'm putting this in the very middle of our series on our church fundamentals because you're going to have individuals that will listen to sermons like this that we deal with traditions and discern between the traditions and the actual teaching of God's word that, that you know, where we get presumptuous at times and, and trying to, well, figure out what's being said in the text and then take that and having various applications one person saying, no, it's got to be this way, and another person saying, it's got to be that way, and, and then have difficulty where we no longer have fellowship with each other. This is why this passage is coming into play in the middle of this series. So, this is a big problem among brethren. Jesus knew it was going to happen. These are the things of why the New Testament scriptures have a number of things to say about this one problem about judging one another. Well, looking at the text... 
I want us to see. I want us to see what's going on here. I want you to actually, I wish we had someone that was so creative. I don't know how you can do it. I don't know how it's possible. I looked at all the images uh, online on, you know, Google images to see if I could put one up here. Nothing could, in my mind, do justice to the way Jesus is describing this picture. Okay? So I'm going to try my best to visualize it, I don't know, just by my words. So imagine, here's a person, and I'm going to be looking at another person. I'm judging that person. For me to see a speck in someone's eye, and I actually went, whose eye? I actually used someone. Who did I use here? Was it Julie? Was it you, honey? Oh, is it, it was you. Okay. <laughs> I, got, I had to go, okay. To get up to Julie's face, I was less, less than a foot away from her. And I'm trying to think, with good sunlight, getting older, good sunlight, can I see a speck if it's in her eye? And I'm telling you, unless we go into the bathroom, put the light on and shine it in, and, and then I get real close, I might be able to see the speck. Do you see how close I have to get to examine Julie to see that speck in her eye? Now, normally, I don't know, we're anywhere from, what, 12 feet away to, I don't know, 60, 70 feet away. You guys won't be able to see any speck in my eye, right? But somehow we strain. Let me look real close. And we try to find that speck. And it's not to say the speck isn't there. It's there. There's a problem that person has. But interestingly enough, the way Jesus points this out is to say it's a speck. In the meantime, imagine now not a speck but a log. Now, in the picture is you might have a log that somehow fits into the eye. I don't know any log that can fit in anybody's eye. The smallest logs might fit my head. <laughs> I don't know. But imagine a log in someone's eye, and that log, to me, the envisionment I have is as soon as that log goes in my eye, I flop over to the side. It's too heavy. It's too big. And I don't know how in the world I could even see out of that eye by virtue of the fact that it's in my eye. It's in my whole face. The picture is so ridiculous that Jesus is making a point. How can you see a speck in someone's eye when you've got a log in your own? And because of the type of individuals that Jesus is rebuking through this teaching, he's making a teaching about, about anyone that would live this way, that would judge one another. He's saying, what position are you even in to see the speck in someone's eye I mean, imagine turning and you whack the person, knocks them out. I mean, that's, it's a ridiculous picture. How can you even imagine the ability to look at someone's flaw when you are obliviously blind and desensitized to a log in your own? That's the contrast that Jesus gives. Can that be any more clear? of the concept of what kind of judgment he is talking about. See, when our heart is not right with God, and our heart is especially not right with one another, it's at that moment when our heart isn't right that it's easy to find specks, right? Brad, if I step down and go up real close, if Brad and I weren't on good terms, I would 
those, in fact, it wouldn't be one speck. I'd find a lot of sawdust in there probably. <laughs> right? When we're on good terms, love covers a multitude of sins, but when we're not on good terms, all of a sudden, multitude of sins are easy to find. Very easy. When a heart is not right, it's easy to find, find the smallest speck of a problem in other people. So easy. We can also, while being so quick to find the speck in other people's lives, their problems, we can at the very same time be blind to our own. And I believe the reality is this. When you have a hardened heart toward others and you look down upon others and you judge others the way Jesus is talking about not to judge, it is at this moment that you're not able to only see, your, I mean, to see your own sins, let alone own them. It is only when you're able to humble yourself and see the log in your own eye, acknowledge it and own it, that you begin to kind of look at other people's eyes. And, and I'm telling you, you won't look so closely, by the way, because it's humbling to acknowledge your own sins. All of a sudden, you may still see the speck, but you're not looking for the speck. It, it may just be there, and you see it, right? Sometimes I'm wondering if in the body of Christ, some brethren are just looking for, making sure everyone's just right with God on my terms. I won't say it that way, but it may come across. Because God's terms and my terms, we're one. So it's us against those that don't fit in with us. That's the picture of judgment that Jesus here is condemning. And so that's the problem of being judgmental. So here's the thing. If we were to look at it in Scripture and see it in application, maybe then we can extrapolate from that into whatever situations that you all are going through in your own lives. So let's do that. Let's go to Romans 14 because I believe Romans 14 and James chapter 4, part of our summer series that I, I missed, I think it was when I was in Texas, um, that deals with this judge not. Romans 14, I want you to really pay close attention to this entire chapter in light, and we're not going to read the entire chapter, but read it in light of Matthew 7, okay? First of all, Notice where it starts and notice where it goes to, right? How the tone starts and how the tone shifts in Romans 14. Pick it up in verse 1. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things, right? So whatever this doubtful things are, he's going to qualify. But it may not be doubtful for some, particularly if you get judgmental, Okay? For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. Let not him who does not eat judge him who does eat. For God has received him. All right? So, first of all, Notice the context. The Apostle Paul is not talking about someone who's blatantly in sin. 
He's talking about two individuals that are on opposing sides of a given subject matter, both trying to serve the Lord. Part of our discussion this morning in our class in 1 Samuel, right? This person wants to serve the Lord, does not eat meats because, and he gives his reasoning, whatever the reasoning is, it's not really mentioned all here. And this person does eat, and he does it unto the Lord as well. So far, so good. Unto the Lord, I do this. Unto the Lord, I do not do this. But now to each other, oh, you're one of those eaters. Uh-huh. I think you should sit on that side of the church building. And the one who does eat is like, freedom in Christ. I can do whatever I want. I'm going to go ahead and eat this right in front of your face. And despise the one who doesn't eat. That's the problem that goes on in the body of Christ. Here's what the Apostle Paul said in light of Jesus' teaching and in light of the teaching of, of the doctrine of Christ, if you will. He says in verse 4, Who are you to judge another's servant? To his own master, our God, our Savior Jesus, he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand. For God is able to make him stand. All right? That's the whole conclusion. One person, it's wrong to eat meats that have been offered to idols. It's wrong to, be, to eat meats that are sold in the marketplace that had been offered to idols. That's one person's view. The other person says, it's just meat. It had been offered to an idol, but what is an idol? I know that God is the God that I serve, not that idol. And this meat, it's just meat. And so this one has a clean conscience before God to go ahead and eat that meat. Whereas this person has a defiled conscience thinking, it's tied to idolatry. I want nothing to do with idolatry because I love you, God. Both are able to stand before God. Those are the doubtful things, right? He continues on. And this is where the illustration is used here in verse 5. One person esteems one day above another. Okay? You know, I love birthdays. Birthdays are cool. Halloween, all you heathen Christians need to stop Halloween. Hey, listen, it's kind of joking from my standpoint. There are some brethren that are very dead serious, and it's not a joking matter to them. Right? So one esteems another in some regard. They've made a crino, a decision, a judgment. Right? The next person is like, Halloween? We're getting some candy. Birthday? I'm going to get some, I don't know, some gifts. Both days are perfectly fine to me. That's our modern way that we might use this text in verse 5. Very different than the first century usage, I'm sure. But nonetheless, the same in which one day regards one day as holy and the other day as common, whereas the other person says, no, they're all common or they're all holy unto God. However, they're going to meet out this, this belief system and put it into practice. He goes on to say this. 
So again, verse five, one person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. And now notice the second conclusion. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. You need to make a decision in your own mind, not your mind being forced upon someone else's mind. Because that person in their mind is trying to serve the Lord. So don't impose that upon them. You might have discussions with them. You might teach them from your conviction why you believe that your opinion is better than their opinion. But now again, knowledge puffs up. But what? It's love that edifies. 1 Corinthians 8 verse 1. So he says this, the apostle does. In verse 6, he who observes the day observes it to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day, to the Lord he does not observe it. And he goes back to the previous illustration about those who eat and do not eat. He says, he who eats, eats to the Lord. For he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat, to the Lord he does not eat. And gives God thanks. I remember um, it's about close to 25 years ago. Jill and I, in, in this particular congregation, uh, there's a family in this church. They're the only people I knew since being a young Christian that celebrated Chris, uh, Christmas. Unlike any other family within the churches of Christ that we have come to know that celebrated Christmas. Everyone that did celebrate Christmas did it as a national holiday, never religiously, until this family came along. They celebrated it religiously, not in the way that you might think. So again, watch your presupposition. In their thought, they knew that December 25th was not the birth of Jesus, but it was a celebration with regard to the birth of Jesus. And for that, they were grateful for Jesus coming into this world and celebrated with the world on this particular day about the birth of Jesus. And they did so giving thanks to God. And then you have brethren saying, in the name of Bible authority, that you don't have the authority to celebrate the birth of Jesus on this particular day. Because we're going to do and we're going to follow the scriptures according to what the scriptures do in fact reveal. To some, it's not a matter of disputes over doubtful things. To some, it's a biblical teaching. So therefore, until it comes to another subject matter. For instance, the subject matter of the head covering. In this room, I'll get my glasses back on. I'm going to do a real scan real quick. one <laughs> Miss Peggy is the only one with a head covering on and I don't think she's doing it for the reason that I'm going to express oh we got two oh Georgia Georgia's the only one with an actual head covering on and I would venture to say because Georgia loves God and Georgia has read the scriptures and Georgia has come to the conclusion that it is appropriate it is needful maybe for her to be wearing that covering and yet, many of us in here who are old enough, the younger ones, again, lack of teaching, I guess, from a head covering issue standpoint, don't do it. Because we believe that we're not under such 
context, right? How we come across the same passage of scripture, individuals. But if you go to other parts of this country, a little further south on 65, you're going to have more brethren that have stronger convictions. And because there's more in number, you might be in one congregation where it's a majority, if not a, all the women wearing the head covering. And they're doing it because they love God. And they believe it's the right thing to do. When someone comes in and does not have that same conviction, is it a matter of doubtful things? Because in this congregation, it may qualify as doubtful things. But you go to that congregation, it may not be a doubtful thing. It is clear cut in scripture. You lose your soul if you don't. Now, I say that because I have studied with brethren, particularly one, a brother that I love so dearly who has passed on since. And we come to different conclusions. And he's from down south on the road or was. And, and so at what point are these doubtful things, disputable things? And therein lies the part in which we're in the middle of our church series. What does God's word actually say? And do we actually bring to the table presuppositions, things that have been taught us for so many years? It is as if it is the very word of God that is spoken to us. And sometimes it's important for us to reread those scriptures again with fresh eyes. The passage hadn't changed. But we might have imposed some things on the passage. And that's why the apostle, a number of apostles, and Jesus himself talked about the traditions of men and how they've been equated with the word of God. So that's what you get. If you go on to verse 10 of this passage, here's what he says. Well, let me back up. Um, verse 7. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or, or we die, we are the Lord's. All right? So we belong to God, not to each other. We, we are each other's brother's keeper. There's our Wednesday night um, what springboard for our Wednesday night discussion. But we're not going to be judged by each other. We're going to be judged by the Lord himself. For to this end, verse 9. For, this, for to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Right? He is the Lord. He is the judge. But why do you judge your brother? Why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Why do we judge each other when the judge himself sits on the throne of the judgment seat? It's not that we are not able to judge one another. It's this concept of why do you show contempt for your brother? That's the condemnation. That's the judgment of which the Apostle Paul, in the name of Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ himself, says, judge not. It is the contempt for the other brother in Christ. Okay? And here's the reason why. Uh, take a time out. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 real quick. 
So in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, clear-cut case. I mean, there is no dispute. This is not a doubtful thing. This is not a disputable thing. Verse 5, it is actually reported that there is sexual, uh, sexual immorality among you. Such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife. Right? This is not a matter of I'm trying to have sexual immorality in the name of serving God. That's none of that. It's complete disregard for a life that is befitting of someone who follows Christ. And he goes on to say this to them. Verse 8. Therefore, let us keep the feast not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. We need to purge out the leaven from the lump. Right? Verse 7 actually says so. You need to make a decision. Even though I, the Apostle Paul, am absent from you, I have, in my absence, already judged him. And I have delivered him over to Satan. Judgment is being made. And he says to them, you make the same judgment. Purge out the one who continues to walk unrepentant and wicked. And then he says to them in verse 9, I wrote to you in my letter, in my epistle, not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. So very clear, this guy is in gross sin against God. But now we come along and we take things that are not with gross immoral sin, but we equate it with such, like not wearing the head covering. That person, is, that person has no love and no respect for the authority of God nor his scriptures or his hermeneutics. Right? That's how we do. We come along, and to use another illustration, remember I told you when I first became a Christian, if you wore things past your ankles, man, you're just... First, it's the ankles, and all of a sudden, you're in swimsuits. It just, that's the beginning, the slippery slope. That's the mindset, right? Very, very strict, very conservative. But then you go to the next person and says, no, well, you can go right to the knee. And someone says right about here, at some point, it's getting really high, right? Where's the line? Where's the line? I could tell you the old Mitch. The old Mitch gave the line. I'm going to tell you why. I, and I went to scripture. The old Mitch says nothing above the kneecaps because the Old Testament scriptures in reference to the priests would say that if the thigh was exposed, it was showing their nakedness. And when you do a study on nakedness, it was equated with shame. It was equated with sin. So therefore, if the priests can't do that, why should we? Especially if we... The New Testament Christians are a royal priesthood. There is my decision. It was the knee. And that was the line. But when I actually look at New Testament laws, actual, not principle, 
Not taking a principle and turning it into a law, but an actual law, there was no line. So where's the line? You're going to have to go before God and unto the Lord. And someone's saying, yeah, but that person who does it above the knee is not unto the Lord. And the other person says, well, sure it is. Is that a disputeful thing? See, therein lies where another element comes in, and it's not that law, it's going to be right here, this heart. Is our heart right with God? And someone could say, yeah, but Mitch, that person can have a right heart with God, and they're going to wear some really clothing that I would say is completely inappropriate. And is your heart right with God? Toward that person. Therein lies the issue that we are dealt with. Judge not, lest you be judged. It does not mean we cannot use wisdom. It does not mean the pulpit cannot be used for explaining wisdom on why maybe this should be a line. Because I know the world does it, right? Those of us that go into the jail, we cannot wear open-toe shoes for a variety of reasons. We cannot wear see-through type clothing. We cannot wear holes in the jeans, right? For a variety of reasons. We cannot wear... Well, we women cannot wear the skirts if it's like, I think, two inches above the knee, something like that. It's a very specific lines. And they use wisdom. And it's a fully appropriate thing to use wisdom. Schools do the same. Right? We ought to have the freedom in Christ to impose among ourselves, parents with their children, the same things. But every parent's going to be different. And therein lies this issue. And so to go back from that 1 Corinthians 5 where there's actual judgment amongst brethren, here in the context, do not judge your brother from looking down upon him, from despising him, from holding him in contempt. And then, of course, not only is it in Romans, of course, we could go through the rest of the, the letter or the chapter, what we call chapter 14, Romans 14, because he actually deals with more issues. But go to James 4. This is one of our Wednesday night studies, that, I, and I was not here, I'm apparently 4. But in James 4, verse 11, in, and see what Jesus is teaching in this verse. James says to brethren, do not speak evil of one another. This is right after he called them and judged them adulterers, by the way. Do you get the play on words right now? Adulterers and adulteresses. And after he gets done saying adulterers and adulteresses, brethren, don't judge one. I can imagine someone with an evil heart going, you just judged. And now you're telling us not to judge. I can just, I can just imagine that. But that's what he does. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. Did you hear that? I speak evil of any one of you, whether it's aloud or in my heart. No sooner than I speak evil about you, like you good-for-nothing Christian, you really don't love God, da 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 I have now spoken evil against the law and the lawgiver. The lawgiver is the one who died for the person I just spoke against. One more time. 
Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but you've become a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge? Because you're not the one who's able to save nor destroy but the lawgiver is. And so, very, very clearly, James is teaching how do we look at these brethren with whom we judge us wrong. It's okay, in my viewing of the scripture, it's okay that we think that what they are doing is wrong from an opinion standpoint in many cases, right? But when I say, when I go past this and I start having a disdain for you I look at you as lesser Christian that you love God less than me I've now become a judge I've now become condemned not by you but by God himself because of the way I look at you this is the problem this is what Jesus was dealing with because if you know Categorically speaking, whom he often rebuked, it was the people who are very judgmental, like the Pharisees. Oh, I noticed your disciples ate on the Sabbath. You know, they worked to get that grain, and they took their grain that they worked on the Sabbath to to make into this food. Don't you know the law? You know, we're more concerned about that than the fact that they're maybe really, really, really hungry and in need of food. It'd be like, oh, well, good modern situation. Someone in here who might have a medical situation and they bring in, they bring in their drink because they need to be hydrated or else it gets hard. They might dehydrate for whatever reason. And we might be so concerned about that, that drink in this auditorium. I said that right in the timing when Will walks out with a cup in his hand. (laughs) It was not intentional. But that's the thing. We we have questions and motives and we attribute them upon one another. How do we look at these brethren with whom we judge as wrong? That's what God wants every one of us in this room and myself, naturally, all of us, in self-examining. Do we look into that perfect law of liberty? Do we see ourselves and do we see my, Mitch's flaws, Mitch's weaknesses, Mitch's sins? Do I see that before I even begin to even look at your flaws, your weaknesses and your sins? When I start doing that, I I get humbled because as I get older and older, God has graciously allowed me through his patience to see my sins, to see my weaknesses, to see my flaws. And I get humbled. And when I do so, I'm not as hard anymore upon you and the way I look at you. And And here's the irony. Here's where the flesh Mitch can say, So now that I've been growing and maturing, I expect you to do the same just like me. 
I want you to humble yourselves like me. And I want you to be able to not be so judgmental like me. Right? We all grow at different paces. We all struggle with different things within the flesh. And we're wanting the very best for our walk with our Lord. And we want the very best for our brothers and sisters in Christ in the Lord's church. That's what we want. And if that's the case, then here's what we do. Judge this. Romans 14, verse 13 says, Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather, and it says in the New King James, I think, or New American Center, determine, but it's the word krino in Greek. So, but rather, judge this. Do not judge this, but judge this. Not to put an obstacle or stumbling block in a brother's way. The person who says, it's okay for me to wear my things over here to the kneecaps, but I know this person actually loves the Lord, it's not judgment, but loves the Lord and struggles by looking at this flesh over here for their sake. I'm going to wear something longer. And I can imagine those with hardened hearts going, I should never have to do that. They are imposing upon me their problem. No, what you are doing is you're loving your brother. You're loving your brother. Yeah, but we're always having to succumb to that brother. Right? There's always that brother, whoever brother is. Love thinks the best of their brethren. Love does what is best or in the best interest of their brethren, like they do of their family. So we're not going to put a stumbling block in our brother's way. That's what we do. And judge this. Romans 14, verse 19. Pursue the things which make for peace. Pursue means we're actively seeking this conciliation. So we don't have to break apart and have a reconciliation. We're actively seeking this right here, fellowship. How are you actively seeking fellowship with brethren, particularly when they're different in their beliefs, different in their practice? Brethren, this is the whole. I'm going to get real to the nuts and bolts of, of Christianity. It is this lack right here that went from the Lord's church into its fracturings, into all the different denominations that we have today. And within the body of Christ, within churches of Christ, the fracturing continues until it's as absurd as this sounds, this actually happens at a very granular level until you cannot even have fellowship with your own spouse. This is what happens. If you go to the absurd degree, you go from, what, what do we have here? I don't know, 100, 150, 200 here. And then something happens, we're 75. Something happens, we're we're 30 and then something happens we're 15 and every time we get smaller but we are the side standing for the truth and our good for nothing I mean our brother I mean those people who are, call themselves Christian I mean, we start naming it in ways to package and make ourselves feel better and it's an us against them versus pursuing the things which make for peace And I think the Lord's church has got a lot of growing up to do as regard to that. Amen. 
if we can look at those scriptures again with fresh eyes, we can see what God has intended for his community of believers. The desire for the community of his believers to grow the kingdom of our Christ in such a manner that when we can reach lost souls, we bring that lost soul into the kingdom of our Lord by his gracious adding them into the body of Christ, and we build them up and not destroy the very ones whom Christ died for. And I guarantee you, as we continue to share the gospel, we have people with all kinds of baggage, let alone the baggage that we bring into this body called Franklin Church of Christ. And it doesn't get any easier when that happens. But how we go about that, very crucial. So that's the lesson. And I'm hoping that when we go out and finish up um, when we deal with when the church comes together, when the church is separated, uh, we can see some things again from a traditional versus what the word actually says and make discernment, make judgment from what scripture says versus maybe the ways that we have kind of imposed upon the text from, from time to time that cause traditions to begin. Here's something that's not tradition. Jesus was very clear. He wants his disciples to be busy about going out and sharing good news. It's not bad news, right, when you become a Christian, right? Bad news is, oh, I got to go to church. The bad news, I cannot do this, I cannot do that. That's, that's, what is good news about being a Christian then? The good news about having your sins washed away, getting a new clean slate. And by the way, my error, it was David Coleman that wrote that article. I apologize, and it wasn't Don. It was Don's article the week before. Uh, but David Coleman that wrote that article about a clean slate. But we have this clean slate. And that with this clean slate, we, through all of our weaknesses, through all of our specks, one by one, we help each other to remove those specks through love. We help each other remove those specks, and we become more and more like the one who died for us. We do it patiently. We do it lovingly. We do it with the kind of rebuke that is a salve and not furthering a wound. That's how we do it. We're not talking about someone who has turned their backs against God. We're talking about someone who's saying, I love God, and I didn't know I had this problem. And you're pointing that out. That's how we do it. That's how we judge how we need to be added to the body of Christ. That's the good news. And if you're here and you have not been added to the body of Christ, you've not been buried with him and risen to walk in this newness of life, that's your invitation. And if you're here and you haven't done that, I'm inviting you in the name of Jesus Christ to die with Jesus, to raise up out of that watery grave with Jesus and to walk in newness of life with Jesus and with all of the rest of us who have our own specks that need to be dealt with. Would you come? And brethren, if you've not been walking worthy, especially if you are here and you've been convicted of having a judgmental life, first of all, it would take a lot of humility for you to come forward on a sermon like today. But if you did, you'd be well received. And the invitation is for you as well. As together we stand and sing the song.